You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Good morning, Bucknutters. It is Sunday, January 12th. 2020. I am Dan Rubin. This is Buck Nuts Almost Live, our sporadic weekend podcast in the off season. Got a big show planned for you today. Bill Curlick, Matt Baxendale, and Steve Hellwagon will join us. Bill will cover recruiting, and then we're going to project next year's starters on both offense and defense with Matt and Steve. Bill, how goes it? Morning, Dan. Goes well here in Columbus. Uh, Warm weekend. It's been for Columbus in January, but uh, a little cloudy, but going well here in Columbus. There was a day this week where my weather app said 69 and 32 within 12 hours of each other. That's Ohio. Another thing in Ohio, we're very good at football, very good at recruiting. The last piece of the 2020 class bill. Will it be Jameer Gibbs, the running back out of Georgia? It's been a long kind of courting here. He is committed to Georgia Tech, theoretically. Got a chance to see him down in Texas at the All-American Bowl. His visit schedule has changed a little bit. Bring us up to speed on the latest of Jameer Gibbs and maybe a vibe on how you think it could all turn out. Well, he's got his Ohio State visit coming up this coming weekend, January 17th, and um after that, he's going to take official visits, a midweek visit to LSU, then a weekend visit the January 24th weekend to Florida, and then he finishes off with Georgia Tech. Um, you know, having talked with him, so to speak, because he is so quiet, nice young man, just is very quiet. Uh, so having talked with him in person in San Antonio, you know, I just uh, I don't think anybody, including Jameer himself, knows what he is going to do. Um, Georgia Tech, he is still committed to them. Would not surprise me at all if he stayed with that commitment, even though a lot of people think, um, you know, why would you stay with Georgia Tech when you could go to LSU, you could go to Ohio State, you could go to Florida. But, again, he's a Georgia kid. He's been committed there. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me. Um, but Ohio State has a chance. They're going to get him on campus. You know, they they, they can uh, show him what he can do in the offense, even though they've already told him that. They can sit down with him and watch a film of J.K. Dobbins and say, hey, you're the next J.K. Dobbins. I talked to Jameer about that. He doesn't see himself as J.K. Dobbins. He doesn't feel he is that powerful of a guy, but he sees himself as a, a guy that can catch the ball out of the backfield Um can run the ball, can be an every down back for Ohio State. So we'll see what happens. It always worries me, though, that when you have a guy from the South that has all Southern schools on his list and then just one Northern school in in Ohio State. So that's a concern. I think if you ask me right now, would you take the field or Ohio State in this one? I I would take the field. But, again, they're going to hit him on campus, and we'll see what happens. Definitely one to watch. The guy who's blown up in his senior year. If you go check his highlights, 
he has serious potential. Speaking of serious potential, Ohio State added the number one guard in the class of 2021 as we move cycles here. Donovan Jackson out of Episcopal in Bel Air, Texas, the Houston suburb. Can you give us a sense of how good you think he is? And then, according to 24-7 Sports, Ohio State has the number one 2021 class right now. Does this feel like a class you think that could end up that way? Yeah, uh, it takes me back to when people questioned if Ryan Day could recruit, which was just ridiculous. Uh, uh, you know, he, he was a tremendous recruiter as an assistant. There was no reason to think he wasn't going to do the same thing as a head coach, and he has done exactly that. Uh, he's been a tremendous recruiter as a head coach. Um, yeah, you know, they, they've got the number one class in the country right now, and they're not. Uh, there's no sense of slowdown. Um, you know, they get Donovan Jackson, uh, who, who I think is going to be a tremendous player. Uh, you know, you talk to his coach, and uh, his coach has had some good ones at his school, including Walker Little. Um, and, and his coach says that Donovan is good or better than any that he's had. Uh, Walker Little is going to uh, go back to Stanford for one more year, but then he's going to be playing in the NFL and at a high level, I'm guessing. So, Donovan Jackson, whether it be guard or even tackle, um, he's going to be a good one for Ohio State. That was a huge get. And, again, you get back to, you know, people were highly questioning Greg Stadrara's uh, recruiting for the offensive line, and he's got two of the top offensive linemen in the country in, in Donovan Jackson and Ben Crispin committed, and he's got a shot at some other great ones too, including J.C. Latham. So, uh, you know, the, the rich get richer. Uh, I think Ohio State can continue this on, and, uh, you know, you look at the guys that they have a chance to get still in the 2021 class that, that you can make an argument that they are not only one of the top choices but perhaps leading for, and, yeah, it's looking very good for Ohio State right now. Uh, we could spend some time talking about how funny it is that we keep going into Texas and taking their best players, but let's actually go with a few names. Tell me some guys right now that aren't committed to Ohio State, maybe three names, 2021 guys you think Ohio State really, really wants, and then we're going to hear a ton about in the next two to three months. Well, uh, sir, yeah, I mentioned uh, J.C. Latham. He's a, he's an outstanding offensive tackle from IMG and uh yeah, he's a guy that is long told me that Ohio State is one of his if not his top choice he's pretty much always said that uh every time I've talked to him that his top two choices are Ohio State and LSU he is a Midwest guy he's original you know he's from Wisconsin uh well he he played high school football in Wisconsin he's not originally from there but he played high school football in Wisconsin and, and he's a guy that certainly I could see uh Ended up in Ohio State, no question about that. Um, you know, obviously, Ohio State, I think you've got to look at the running back position because running back, again, is going to be huge for Ohio State. And uh, a guy that right now I tend to like their chances with is Corey Kiner from Cincinnati. And um, another guy that's a sleeper that I did an article about him this past weekend on Bucknuts.com, is Cody Brown from Georgia. He is an outstanding running back, and he really likes Ohio State a lot. Uh, they like him. So I think the Buckeyes have a really good chance of getting at least one of those two guys, and that would certainly go a long way um, at running back to solve uh, their recruiting issues there because they are both outstanding players. 
Um, as far as a third one, I'm going to go with uh, a guy that uh, would be a great, great addition to the class and uh, a player that uh, maybe because he's so far away, people don't mention quite as often. But uh, you know, who can uh, question or doubt Brian Hartline's recruiting? And he's recruiting Amika Buka from the state of Wisconsin, or I should say the state of Washington. And he is a five-star guy that likes Ohio State a lot. Um, would not surprise me if uh, if Hartline was able to get him out of the state of Washington, and he's a tremendous prospect. Yeah, that would be totally incredible. Bill, during his recruitment to Ohio State, nobody got to know Joe Burrow or Joe Burrow's family better. You can say you aren't going to be pulling for him tomorrow night. No one would believe it. Do you think Joe <laughs> and LSU will get it done against Clemson? Give us your pick. Well, uh, the, the the easy thing, of course, would be to say that I've, I've long liked Joe Burrow, uh, to say the least. I've always felt he was just going to be an outstanding player. And so, yeah, go with Joe Burrow. But after I thought about it, I thought, you know, the way things have gone for Clemson, you know, it's hard to pick against them. I mean, you know, to me, they were not the better team against Ohio State. And, uh, you know, talking to recruits, they a lot of recruits don't feel like the better team won that game. Uh, but they found a way to win that game, and they have continually found ways to win that to to win. So I was thinking, well, maybe maybe they're going to get it done. But the bottom line to me is this is basically a home game for LSU. And I can't go against Joe Burrow playing in LSU playing basically a home game. So I'm going to go with Joe Burrow and LSU to win the game. My guess is the ratings for this game will be particularly high in Columbus and will threaten New Orleans. We will be pulling for Joe as well. We appreciate Bill stopping by. We'll be back with the people's champ, Matt Baxendale. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. As promised, we are back with the people's champ, Matt Baxendale. Bax, how goes it? Oh, I wish we were previewing the national championship game tomorrow, but other than that, things are uh, things are good here in Buckeye land. We will get a pick from Bax, like we did from Bill, and we'll get one from Steve later on, too, on how Joe Burrow will handle tomorrow night. But first, the goal of today with Bax, let's figure out Ohio State's 2020 starting offense. We will get to the defense with Steve a little bit later on. That's a much taller task, given the exodus, but let's go through position for position. Quarterback. I'm very confident Justin Fields is going to beat out Gunnar Hoke again. How about yourself? I don't know. The the hoaxer is uh, is the Hokemania going to run wild? <laughs> I think uh, I think the quarterback. The only real question is who the backup's going to be because I do think that C.J. Stroud and Jack Miller, who are both early enrollees, are going to certainly give Hoke a run for the money for the uh, for the second quarterback role, which. It's is certainly a critical position when you have a guy who's as mobile as Fields that you hope doesn't get injured. 
it is nice to have another deep and talented quarterback room as opposed to this year where every time Fields ran outside the pocket, you had a lump in your throat. We start off now with a big one, running back. I do think that there were some nerves generated because Master Teague did not look quite as good as he had in the Fiesta Bowl. Who do you believe will be the starting running back next year? Well, I do believe it's going to be Teague. Uh, let's not forget the guy finished in the top like six or seven in the Big Ten and rushing as the backup. So this is a guy who clearly did a pretty good job this year. Um, yeah, he wasn't as dynamic as J.K. Dobbins, but I think he's going to have the opportunity to come into his own uh, next season with a little bit more reps. But this is a good deep quarterback room. Uh, or not, it's not quarterback room, running back room. Uh, you know, you, you you saw Marcus Crowley over the course of the year have some impressive runs. Steel Chambers, it's like everybody keeps waiting for him to get switched to linebacker, but every time he gets on the field, he makes a nice run. So you've got three guys right there at the running back position that I, I think are going to have pretty strong years. I mean, they're, 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 you've got some you've got some talent. There's no question about that. Let's put it that way. Uh, and, and one other thing to throw in here, too, is that I know the H-back role is kind of a hybrid wide receiver, running back sort of role. You've got some players in that position who are going to do well, too. You've got the run DMC coming back. You've got Jalen Gill. So you have some athletes in that position, too. But for the mainline tailbacks, I do think Master Teague's the guy to beat. Uh, and I don't want to discount someone young like Mayan Williams or if they end up landing Gibbs out of Atlanta. But, you know, running back's a position where one of the young guys could certainly get more playing time than you would think from uh, from uh, other compared to other positions. You know, they have shown that they will go with the committee approach if need be. So I would keep an eye on Marcus Crowley as well. Ideally, we'd go back to uh, the Clydesdale approach, and Teague would take it and run with it. All right, wide receiver. You could make an argument here who are the starters this year, but they are losing Austin Mack, Ben Victor, and K.J. Hill. So who are the three starting wide receivers for Ohio State this coming year, you think? Yeah, I think you hit it on the head there. You could argue who the starters were this year, and I think next year we're going to technically argue who the starters are as well. Uh, that said, uh, there's zero doubt whatsoever in my mind that Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are going to be the primary receiving options. You have two guys that are uh, turning out to be very high-level players, and you know one misread on a scramble by Olave in the Fiesta Bowl doesn't change the fact that he may be the best receiver in the Big Ten next year. So... But the receiver position is interesting because you have so many good young guys coming in. And as we saw with Garrett Wilson, these young guys are more ready than ever to play right away. So you've got a guy like Jameson Williams who at various times this year looked awesome, who has great speed, but Julian Fleming's going to certainly be on the field. He's the number one receiver in the country coming in. You've seen the film from Gee Scott. You know he's going to be awesome. And then you've got Mookie Cooper, and you've got Jackson Smith-Nigba both of whom were top 100 players. So you've got a lot of receiver talent next year. I think that the, the, if you're going to talk about having three starters, the, the third guy is going to be a rotating body. I think you're going to see maybe more of a Lave and Garrett Wilson on the field than anything else, and there's going to be a rotating third or fourth receiver out there with them frequently. I will say this. I think you can make the argument that OSU's receiver room next year is going to be the most talented OSU receiver room since the 2005 season, when, of course, you had Santonio Holmes, Ted Ginn Jr., Anthony Gonzalez, all of whom were first-round picks eventually in the draft. And that also doesn't factor in guys like Brian Rubisky and Brian Hartline, who were also in that room at the time. So I think sheer talent, next year's receiver room is going to be pretty darn special. I would not be surprised to see Jackson Smith and Jigba get in there early. 
Steve Wolfong has convinced me he is the best high school receiver in the country and the most polished, Fleming being the best athlete and prospect. But it is an embarrassment of riches. You may have four first-round draft picks in the room. Who will be the tight end that will be largely blocking for them? I think it's going to be the exact same thing at tight end as we saw this year. You've got Luke Farrell coming back. He's a good blocking tight end. He's a serviceable receiving tight end. I think the big question at tight end next year is are we going to actually see Jeremy Ruckert start getting that Gronk roll that everybody thinks he's well-suited for? I mean, he, he was the number one tight end of the country coming to OSU. He's shown the ability to be a fairly decent receiver in terms of big plays. So I don't know if they're going to try to create more of a mismatch package for him or not. Let's not forget, uh, there's no Benjamin Victor back next year. There's no big guy who's going to win those jump balls of these receivers, right? Uh, you know, you've, you've, at least of the guys who you've seen consistently coming back. You know, Garrett Wilson obviously is an incredible athlete, but he's not six foot five or anything like that, right? So I wouldn't be surprised if there was something in place to have Rucker even split out at times, not even line up as a tight end. He's a player you can, you can get some mismatches out of him in terms of size. So I think Farrell's going to be on the field a lot. I think Ruckert's going to be expected to do more of, of the stuff we saw Farrell do. But I just I'm, I want to see what they do with Ruckert because there's something there that could be something OSU hasn't had in a while. If you lined up Ruckert, Fleming, and Wilson, you've got the two number one receivers and a number one tight end out in coverage. Uh, I assume that could be quite prolific. Let's move to the offensive line. Do we agree that they will start Thayer Mumford at left tackle? Josh Myers at center, and Wyatt Davis at right guard again? Yes. Okay. So let's talk left guard and right tackle. Left guard is interesting because everyone says Harry Miller. Now, Harry Miller is not a natural guard. He is a natural stud who plays center. And do you think Harry Miller steps into that spot? I think without a shadow of a doubt. I think we're going to see what OSU has done over the years which is you have a, a guard who has a great year, and then when the center goes on and wins the Remington Awards, you move that guard to center. Same thing we saw with Billy Price. It's going to be the same thing you saw with Pat Elfline. I think they, Harry Miller's too good to not be on the field, plain and simple. He already played a reasonable amount this year, but you, Harry Miller's one of your five best linemen, and you have an opening at guard. In fact, I would argue Harry Miller might be one of your three or four best linemen at this point. You've got to get him on the field. So I think Harry Miller is the starting guard next year, and he's the top backup at center if, God forbid, something happened to Myers injury-wise. And uh, I, 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 just, I don't see how you keep Harry Miller off the field, plain and simple. Agreed. Right tackle, this better be Nicholas Petit-Ferrer. If not, I think his career here is going to get called into question. Do you think he gets it done? I don't know. Uh, we saw DeWan Jones come on down the stretch at the tackle position. Remember, they, were, they decided not to redshirt the guy despite the fact that he really wasn't playing significantly because he was just too good not to have available as the top backup. That says a lot when you had Josh Alabi as another backup at the tackle position. So I think the step's very high on DeWan Jones. Um, and unlike NPF, he hasn't had the issue of, uh, of getting enough weight. His issue's been getting his weight to a, a playable level. But he's a monster. So I, I'm not giving this to NPF. I think this is the real big opening right now is going to be whether NPF or Jones is the starting right tackle at this point. And I will say this too. If neither one of them grabs the bull by the horns, Paris Johnson is a darn good player. He's the number one tackle in the country for a reason coming in. And while you don't really want to have to start a freshman on the offensive line ever, if one of those guys doesn't step up, he's going to get the opportunity. So that's going to be one of the spots that we're going to talk about all spring is, ooh, right tackle, right tackle, right tackle. It's just, you know, 
preparing everybody for the storyline, that's going to be one of the big question marks. And right tackle, I think, certainly is not decided. I think it's a good thing, though, that they have three guys that I could say, I'm not going to be that upset if they're the starter, right? Not like we're sitting here going, oh, crap, we're moving a guard to tackle like we were 10 years ago. That's an excellent point. With all the names we've gone through and all the positions, and even the ones we want to go through on defense, there are plenty of answers there. It's not like in the past where they're moving fullbacks to linebacker in week eight, and he's second-best linebacker on the team. Okay, we've reached the point where you need to put your money where your mouth is. Who will win tomorrow night, Jumping Joe Burrow or Trevor Lawrence in Clemson? You know, this one I think is going to be real interesting because I don't see LSU, if they get the same opportunity to start the game that OSU did, kicking field goals. They haven't all year, and if you watch that film, there were open receivers for OSU a lot of that game. The way Joe Burrow's year has gone is he's not missing these open receivers. Uh, I, I think there's a certain mystique at this point about Clemson and Trevor Lawrence. He hasn't lost a single game as a starter. Candidly, it would make next year way more fun if Clemson won. Because then you, you're, I've already said I think next year's storyline is going to be Justin and Trevor, Trevor and Justin. They're going to be the whole national picture of the top two picks in the draft, top two Heisman front runners, top two teams next year. Spoiler alert, preseason are going to be Ohio State and Clemson. Uh, yep. But I think LSU is going to win this game. Um, and, and I don't necessarily think they're the better team. I think I, I said coming out of the OSU-Clemson game, I said, you know, something going into it. I still I think wins a national title. So I'm, I'm contradicting myself here. But after having watched that game, I don't think Clemson's secondary is nearly as good as people think it is. Uh, they, they left a lot of open receivers out there for OSU. Fields threw for 300 something yards in that game. And if OSU had just taken advantage of what was given to them, the Buckeyes would be playing tomorrow. So am I a little bitter that they're not playing and coloring it through the prism of, yeah, Ohio State should have won that game? and potentially should have won it big, yeah, maybe a little bit. But I, I don't see Joe Burrow missing these open receivers with his excellent set of receivers that he has on that team, like Ohio State did at times, where they just couldn't finish drives. LSU's going to put up points. So at home, the dream season, I think, for Joe Burrow is going to be fulfilled. And uh, the Bengals' first overall pick in the NFL draft is going to win the national championship tomorrow night for LSU. I would like to see the same thing. What does Steve Hellwagon have to say about the offense and the game? We'll be right back. As promised, we are back with Steve Hellwagon, and we're going to get knee-deep in football. But as we all know, Steve's expertise lends itself to the hardwood as well. And that has not been a very enjoyable experience over the last few weeks. The Ohio State men's basketball team was considered by many to be Number one team in the country, it's got to feel like two or three weeks ago. And now I feel like I'm worried they're going to make the NCAA tournament. What is going on, Steve? Well, Dan, um, as you said, last two weeks have been uh, miserable and uh, four losses in a row now. I just think they're into Big Ten play and you've got great scouting and the opposing teams are able to take away a lot of what Ohio State likes to do offensively. And, of course, most of it centers around Caleb Wesson, and it's like a hand-to-hand combat for him in the post just to get open to catch the ball and then try to compose himself to do something with it. Uh, a lot of times he was fighting a shot yesterday at Indiana. But um, to me, uh, if you're a jump-shooting team and the shots aren't falling and it becomes an epidemic, uh, that's an issue. And, and they're still playing great defense. I mean, Indiana – 
went 10 minutes without a field goal in the first half in one stretch, and uh, Ohio State wasn't able to take advantage. They should have been up 10 points at halftime instead, only up three, and uh, Indiana able in the second half to, to do what they needed to do to win the game. The good news is Nebraska is coming to town on Tuesday night, and uh, psychologically they should be able to see some shots go through the basket on Tuesday night, and uh, maybe that will be what uh, gets them out of this funk. Just uh, <laughs> excuse me, just uh, an amazing showing here the last uh, four games, and not in a good way. Yeah, I can't remember a team I was that confident in and that looked so good. It was, they were greater than the sum of their parts, which looked so good early on. A lot of teams don't really get to that level of chemistry till later in the season. It seems to all have evaporated. Let's hope the return of Kyle Young makes a big difference. I have to say, I, it shouldn't be that big of a deal to lose one guy. For uh, The team shouldn't just go right into the tank, but we shall see kind of really the first big crisis moment. I don't know about crisis moment, but a good test for Holtman early in his career to see how he responds. Let's move on to the task at hand here which is we're going to try and project next year's starting defense for Ohio State. We've already done the offense with backs. It's a much easier task. The defense, when you look at it, man, are they lucky Sean Wade came back. So let's just go through this. We're going to go position for position. We'll do the two defensive end spots. Obviously, they lose Chase Young. Who do you think starts at the two defensive end spots? Well, I think that you have the two dynamic guys, which are Tyreek Smith and Zach Harrison. And Zach Harrison, boy, did he come on at the end of the season. I want to say he had sacks against uh, Wisconsin and Clemson, and he is the up-and-comer, no doubt about it. Tyreek Smith is a guy that's got some NFL potential, but he's got to bring that to the field on a consistent level. He's got to stay healthy. It does are his two big things. Then you'll have the technician, Jonathan Cooper. He's coming back for a fifth year. He played four games this past year. And what a, what a sign that was. They put him in to start the Michigan game because that would be the one that, uh, you know, from a sentimental standpoint, <laughs> that would have been huge. And it didn't matter. They already had their time clinched for Wisconsin. But uh, and maybe they needed to rest some other guys. I don't know. But uh, he got in there and got a sack. So I think those three – will lead the way with Tyler Friday and um, Javante G. Baptiste, uh, who also showed a little bit this year, those two guys. Friday was quietly pretty productive in a reserve role. So I think those five guys are going to be the guys that you look at at defensive end. Completely agree. I think Tyreek Smith, now I don't, I don't want to say I don't think this will happen. I think it's uh, the odds are against it. But if Tyreek Smith is healthy for the entire season, I think you're looking at a Marshawn Lattimore-type rise, and I think he's going to be a high draft pick. But like you said, he has to stay healthy. All right, how about defensive tackle? They're going to lose B.B. Landers. They're going to lose Davon Hamilton, two absolute mainstays of the last three or four years. Who gets in there? Yeah, I think they got a bit of a vacuum there because Jay Sean Cornell also played quite a bit, and those three guys are all gone. So, yeah, they really need some people to step up. Tommy Togiai at times last year or this past year played very well, so I'm interested to see how he steps his game up. It's kind of now or never for Haskell Garrett. I think he's going to be a fourth-year senior, and he's, you know, always been on the edges of maybe doing something, but – 
You know, is he a 50-play-a-game guy? I don't know. We'll have to find out. And then you get beyond him, you've got Antoine Jackson. You know, he's been kind of quiet, a Juco transfer from a couple of years ago. Uh, he'll have a chance to, to maybe take a front-line role. Um, Jerron Cage is a guy that's been banged up quite a bit in his career. Now he gets an opportunity. So, again, you really need some people here to, uh, to step up their game because the defensive tackle set the tone for the defense, in my opinion, this past season. And so now they need uh, the next wave of those guys to step up. It could be a case where maybe a recruit or somebody steps in there. There's Jaden McKenzie, obviously, in the mix there as well. So I don't know. I'm interested to see what happens. But, uh, you know, they may have to base their defense around the ends, perhaps more than the tackles this coming season because, you know, we just have not seen that type of production out of anybody who's coming back at that position. They need Teron Vincent to get out of his sling and get healthy. He's a guy who entered here as the number one player in his position, has not really done much. He wasn't as productive as they expected before he got hurt, so it would be nice if he could step up. Linebacker, kind of interesting season going into it. It was the big question mark. And now going into next season, it seems to have the most names we remember. Baron Browning came back. That was a boon. Give me a sense of how you see these three guys lining up. Well, you know, a lot of people thought with uh, Greg Madison, Al Washington coming in, the linebackers coach, that they would shuffle the deck. And what happened was the same guys who played in 2018 were the same guys who played most of 2019. Now they lose Malik Harrison at outside linebacker. He's gone. I would think it just makes sense to me that you put Baron Browning over in that spot. He split time with Tough Borland in the middle. And uh, to me, Browning is most effective coming off the edge, you know, as the outside linebacker, you know, in his own blitz type situation, whatever. And I think you look at it, um, he had five sacks and ten tackles for loss, I believe, uh, Browning did. So that's why he's so valuable coming back. To me, I, 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 think, I think that's where he goes because that's your opening. He's your next best guy. And, of course, I got Tuff Borland back in the middle and uh, Werner, Pete Werner, back at the other outside spot. But you've got three guys who are now juniors, Tavon Pope, uh, Taraja Mitchell, and Dallas Gant, and they've mostly just played mop-up. Now, the good news was mop-up meant about 30% of the plays this past year because they were blowing people out. So those guys have experience. And I do believe you'll see them play because, in one sense, uh, this is the last year for Browning. This is the last year for uh, Borland and Werner. And you got to get some other guys ready to play the following year. So uh, if they can get in the game and produce, which I think all three of those guys are capable, uh, just as they would play pretty much anywhere else in the Big Ten for sure. And I don't know about the country, but uh, I think those three guys would play. And then, you, you know, this thing that's kind of stacking up like cord book, you, you, you got more guys coming. Uh, Tommy Eichenberg, uh, you know, redshirted this past year. He'll get a chance to show what he can do. Sounds like Kate Stover, who was recruited as a linebacker, will be lining up with the defensive ends uh, in the spring, and we'll see how that goes. And he's another guy you could have added maybe that talked a moment ago. But uh, you got six veteran linebackers, and I do believe all six are going to play. So it is an interesting situation. And um, I think Al Washington, you know, that that may be the strength of the defense uh, come uh, 2020 is, uh, you know, get the most you can out of that linebacker.
I caught myself nodding my head as you were going through the personnel there. They are deep, and you are so right that I think people think those three guys you named are maybe not good players. They've just been caught in a log jam, and you're right. Uh, Northwestern would probably send us their firstborn to get all three of them. Let's move to the secondary. <laughs> you cannot put into words, I'm serious, what it's like to get Sean Wade back. I was one of the people who I completely thought he was gone. I always think they're going to leave, but we had actually heard he was going to leave, and I guess he changed his mind down the stretch. But you went from having a secondary with no starters returning to putting a first-round cornerback in there. It completely changes the whole look. So we know Wade will be our, you know, locked down corner. He'll move off the slot outside, I would assume. Who do you think will start in the other three spots? Yeah, that is a great uh, take on Wade because he erases the opponent's top receiver. You know, again, if it's a slot or an outside guy, I think they can move him around and play him wherever. I think there was a stat late in the season that Ohio State had only given up one touchdown all season to an outside receiver, and it obviously didn't happen. I uh, don't believe it happened in the uh, the bowl game either. So, um any rate, yeah, Wade is going to be the one. Uh, then, then you look at what happened. When he got thrown out of the game in the uh, bowl game, they put a near reap in there, and he had a pass interference penalty uh, early when he first got in. But otherwise, I thought he played pretty well uh, on the whole. Uh, so maybe he's the next guy up. And then, of course, you've got uh, Cameron Brown, who is also filled in there, and seven banks. And I think it's a luxury if you're – and I don't know that they're going to play uh, three corners again in 2020. Uh, it'll be dependent on what they think the best alignment is for the defense as a whole. Uh, but, boy, that was very effective. I mean, I, we didn't see – uh, people uh, complete a ton of passes against Ohio State, and as we said, just gave up very few touchdowns through the air. So uh, Seven Banks, to me, is a guy that's got a higher ceiling maybe than the others. I think Amir Reap, as I said, a technician who got in there. And what's weird is if Kerry Combs was coming back, I have vivid memories of when Amir Reap was going into his – must have been going into his senior year down at – I think he was from Colerain, wasn't he? He and, is, of course, yep. uh, Combs is the former Coleraine coach from years and years ago. Those two working together at the football summer camp probably four or five years ago and now potentially coming full circle uh, to where Combs would come back and coach him at Ohio State. So uh, I think that's uh, kind of a, a cool thing if that's the way it works out. But, um, yeah, I think corner, again, the man of mystery here is Tyreek Johnson, Two years, he was a national top 50 or top 100 uh, player. And I think it helps him that his boy Wade, you know, their former high school teammates, is still there yep. and could maybe help him get through the whatever this rut is that he's been in or injuries or, or whatever. I mean, he's got to be a frustrated guy after two years to be talked about like an Okuda or a Wade and not been able to play. So, you know, does he still have it in him after two basically away from football. I mean, I don't even know how much he's even been able to practice. So, you know, I guess we'll see uh, in the spring if he's available and uh, can mix things up. But I like what you have there at corner. It's a little raw. I will grant you that. And, again, I don't know that they're going to play three like they did this year. It's rare when you have three guys 
as good as the three guys that they had. So I think it made sense to do what they did. But uh, I'm interested to see what direction it goes. No question. And we have seen cornerbacks like Tyreek Johnson, Cam Brown, go from question marks to standout players here. Listen, Damon Arnett was not the most popular Buckeye for his first few years here. Last year, uh, This season he's been great. I talked about Marshawn Lattimore. So the template is there for them to improve, so hope should be high. All right, Steve, you are the game picker extraordinaire for the site. Your previews are strong. Let's put your money where your mouth is. Ohio native Joe Burrow versus Buckeye killer Trevor Lawrence. LSU Clemson, give us your pick. I think we're in for a fun game. I will cite uh, college football news, uh, Pete Butak and his people. They had like four or five people pick this game, and it was total groupthink. Everybody was LSU somewhere in the high 30s to Clemson somewhere in the low 30s. <laughs> I just think that's what everybody out there who looks at this thinks. But, you know, if you watched, uh, you know, the Ravens and uh, the Titans uh, on TV last night, you know, sometimes when you get a game on the field, it doesn't play out necessarily the way people think. And a bad turnover here or, you know, a bad bounce there is kind of we saw last night will go the other way, and it just becomes an avalanche. So I am not predicting Clemson to win this game. And, and, and one of the reasons I think Ohio State gave LSU the blueprint, which is do not allow uh, – uh, Travis ATN to get off running the football. Now, what Ohio State forgot was the other part of that proviso, don't let Trevor Lawrence uh, run the football or let him dump it off to uh, ATN for uh, long touchdowns, two of them. So, yeah, that, that got a little messy, I think, for Ohio State. But LSU, I think, uh, you know, after putting up over 60 points against Oklahoma, that offense should be humming. And uh, should be, again, as we say, a fun game. A lot of points scored. I know the over-under is 70, which uh, seems like an awful lot uh, to me. I, I've got it like 38-31 LSU, uh, which is almost the over, I guess. It would be 69. But uh, to me, I just I just think that uh, LSU uh, has too much. And Burrow, is, it's kind of he's the guy. The guy of destiny, Trevor Lawrence, already has one. So, I don't know. Just the way things tend to even out, I'm going with uh, LSU. And I know that a lot of Buckeye fans will be uh, pulling, not only because Joe Burrow is a former Buckeye from the state of Ohio, but uh, their sudden and deep hatred for everything Clemson. So, <laughs> I guess we'll, uh, we'll see how it plays out Monday night. But I'm picking LSU all the way on this one. I'm with you. We appreciate Steve getting up early this morning for us. Have a good one, Bucknutters. 